All right, just when you thought you could forget about the podcast, we're back again and ready to discuss what's definitely my favorite series of TV this year, or at least since Station Eleven. That's right, we're talking about Apple's severance today. This is the Insatiable Content Podcast, and I'm your host, Vincent Rossmeyer. And joining me on this exploration of our split selves is someone whose opinion on all things culture, from books to TV to movies, never steers me wrong. We just won't be talking about his affinity for jam bands. Not to mention he's a lawyer, so I promise to be on my P's and Q's today and ensure that everything can pass his judicial muster. So let's just get on with it, and let me say thank you to Colin. He only does macrodata refinement. Ryan Gold, welcome, Colin. Thank you, Vincent. I'm extremely excited to be here on the podcast, or at least the the part of my brain that is present (laughs) is excited. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining. I know we we have texted a lot about this series, so I'm actually really excited to talk to you about it in person. Um, But before we get into the show, I know you've had some feedback for me (laughs) offline about the name for this show. So just wanted, you know, since you're here, figured you should have the chance to air it about what you think this show should be called instead of the Insatiable Content Podcast. This show should be a reflection of you, Vincent's uh, everyday uh, opinions, <laughs> which is that everything in life is either your favorite thing or it's garbage. Correct. And therefore, I think this show should be called Favorites or Garbage, <laughs> or since I think you tend to focus on things you like, maybe the show should just be called Favorites. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'll take it back to the team. Okay. We'll, we'll workshop it Great. and consider it. But, you know, that's, that's what we want here. We want interaction with our audience. And I really appreciate the feedback. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So now let's get into severance. I wanted to give a quick, like, high-level plot summary and jump in here anytime you want to. Um, for those who haven't seen it, this is Apple's new show directed by Ben Stiller starring Adam Scott. Um, it's about a somewhat shady, secretive workplace called Lumen, in which, as we learn, this is not to give anything away, spoilers-wise, because this all happens in the first episode. You basically, people choose to work for Lumen, and when they do, they split their, their brains. So they have a work self and a non-work self. When they enter Lumen, something happens where you can see it click in their brain as they're going down this elevator. They no longer can remember what their life is like outside of Lumen. And when they leave, that same click happens, they go back, they, and in their normal life, they're outside of work life, they can't remember anything that happens while they are at work. That's their innie and their outie. Their innie and their outie, exactly. And so, I mean, it's a very heavy-handed in some ways, literal metaphor for the way we have to split our personalities when, you know, in our capitalist society. But I think it really explores, um, it, it poses a lot of big questions while also being, I think, a really entertaining piece of uh, TV in only eight episodes, which I also always love that it doesn't go on, or was it nine? But it, it didn't go on forever, uh, which was really, really nice. So that's what, that's the general overview of the show. Um, and yeah, so I'd love to get, just start with your overall impressions, Colin, of like what you liked about it and why you were drawn to this show. Yeah, I mean, I think my, my overall impression, one, was it was just so well done in, in basically all aspects, the writing, the acting, um, and, and, and concept. Um, but I think on a broader scale, it, it really did pose lots of interesting questions about how we think about the nature of work and the nature of you know, modern society. Um, 
so it was really entertaining to to see that in but in a plot where you really have you know it, it's also kind of a, a gripping plot where you yeah. really want to know what's going to happen to the characters and as you've observed um it's you you are invested in the characters almost purely through the actor's ability to make you care about them they did i think they did a great casting job um to uh because we don't see many, you know, all the characters who exist in Lumen, um, we don't see any of their outside life, so we don't get any backstory. So all of their personalities and beliefs are developed in this tiny world where they almost exclusively interact with you know, four to five other people. And yet we get a sense of their personality, and it does make us wonder at the same time look, how much of that personality is innate versus what versus the amount that would carry over to their Audi selves. Absolutely. And also like I I found it fascinating that it's we're only we only get snippets of Adam Scott's character outside of work for the vast majority of the show and yet the characters themselves theorize sometimes about what their person their person is like outside. Um, often to really comical effect, you know, like <laughs> what's his name? Uh, kept talking about how big his delts are, or like D- is Dylan? Is that what? Yeah, Dylan. Yeah, yeah, about how he had to constantly be working out because he was like, "Look at this! Look at this! These are so big." <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I, I think for me, I couldn't agree more that the performances are really what drew me to the show. Like, I think John Turturro was amazing. So good, um, Christopher Walken. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love it when a show uses Christopher Walken in the right way where he's not weird just because he's Christopher Walken weird and it like it, it felt so organic in the way he was mm-hmm. used in this um, show and it's interesting I think for a show like this I've, I've seen a lot of comparisons to Lost in that it's like a mystery box show can you can you tell me I, I saw in your uh, discussion notes that that you mentioned that I've, I haven't heard that term before. So it's it's like one of those things where the whole show is sort of predicated on a plot of um, the audience. You know, we want to figure out what's happening, and so the mystery is really what's driving us forward. Um, but I don't think that's like Lost is the premier example. Like sure. that, what happens next? Like why is there a fucking polar bear on this island? Right. Um, but to me, I was drawn so much more to the characters in this, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think especially with Adam Scott's portrayal of he basically chooses to sever because not to <laughs> it's tricky to do this without giving too much away, but he chooses to sever because he believes his wife is dead, um, and he so in his personal life he wants to. He is drinking too much. He is engaging in some self-destructive behavior and is really depressed. And so he decides, like, if he cannot have to think about this half the time, he will be a happier person, Um, which makes sense in some way. And so the other key thing I guess we didn't mention is that, like, every single one of these people who are working for women are, like, they volunteer to do this, right? You know, no one is forcing them, as far as we know, Mm -hmm. to do this. And so it's a voluntary submission of, like, severing yourself but you end up with two personalities and the outside of work self can't control the work self and that leads to really astonishing plot developments I think as the show goes on and and I thought it was really fascinating to think about the way that the essentially the in the word the any the inside lumen uh, self 
became so resentful of the Audi yes. selves, like they are distinct, they, they see themselves as kind of distinct adversarial personalities, um, which I think at the start of the show, I didn't grasp the extent to which that would develop over the course of the series. Absolutely, and there's almost something where the people, who, their managers at Lumen, um, almost treat them almost in a childlike way where, you know, like they get rewards if they do certain things, but the rewards are like a waffle party. Yeah. You know, it's like what, a, which I, I get, it's ultimately, you know, making fun of the fact that we do these things in workplace cultures where like we, you know, like you get excited cause you get a pen rather than like actually getting a raise or like being mm-hmm. something like that. Did but, you read the good uh, New York Times piece on that? I did not, week? no. Um, I, I'm, the author's name is escaping me. I think it was an opinion piece in the New York Times this week that talked about this very thing, about how, about how uh, in the context of severance specifically, how it highlights how, especially in the tech arena, you know, they offer these um, seemingly enticing um, perks, yep. but, but to, to, and often... In many cases, just to extend the amount of time you're willing to yeah, spend working. Absolutely. You know, a ping pong table at Google is super fun, but is it worth an hour or two of your day every day? Well, and to me, it was, it's always like one of those things where, like, when you hear about like WeWork or other places like that where they like set up, um, they set up like, you can get, have beer at work. It's like, why the fuck would I want to have beer at work? I want to go have beer after work with friends. I don't want to prolong how much like I'm at my job mm-hmm. any more than I need to be. Like this idea of making workplaces so fun is anathema to me, and I don't. I've never understood that trend when you're in like shared workspaces where it's like every snack available. Or, like Google, the whole reason they give people food or a large reason is so like they can't leave the camp. They don't have to leave the campus, mm-hmm. right? So they're there yeah. more. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a really good send up of there. One thing that I think you can't watch the show and not notice is the way it's shot and directed. I think Ben Stiller, I mean, it's kind of crazy to think this guy went from Zoolander to this, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. um, he's always had, like I, like, I think he's great in Royal Tenenbaums. I think there are a lot of performances where he has a lot of um, depth in his performance, but he's, you know, also the, uh, you know, a, a, a very like, comedic actor who has done some really raunchy things and the level of sophistication in this and then also like I could I was just so struck with the way it's shot everything is in these tight brightly lit corridors where you have no sense of space you constantly feel like you're in a maze that's going on forever Mm -hmm. um it induced such a strong sense of claustrophobia and also like when the external shots of Lumen which were all done apparently in a real place in New York um give the sense of like a mammoth corporation with secrets to hide that's sort of like impenetrable and you're just watching like Adam Scott walking through a huge parking lot. Um, I found that to be so good in the way it really created an atmosphere for this show um, that really made me buy into it. And But one thing on that point is like, what did you take with the sort of anachronistic technology and the way, like the computer screens look like they're from, you know, 1990 mm-hmm. in it and things like that. What did you think that was intended to convey? Yeah. And that, I don't know that I reached a conclusion about yeah. that. Because it, it, and I, I imagine we're going to talk about this a little bit later, 
in terms of at least the, the plot and the mystery box a little bit, is we still don't know all the answers to about what Lumen is up to. We don't. We have no idea what they do every day. But it does seem that, you know, the fact that they are, have this technology that they can implant in your brain means, you know, we're not, they're not operating on anachronistic, at, at an anachronistic level. Exactly. They, they would have the ability to have more advanced technology. And I think there's a, you, I think I at least have the question of whether the outwardly appearing anachronistic technology, how sophisticated it is on the inside. Yeah. Is it just a shell of, of old looking screens? But what, if it is, especially for innies who would have no point of reference to know that it looks that way, what's the point? Or, and is it just for us, the viewer, to take something from that, you know, I, I think at this point in the uh, arc of the series, we, we might not, we just, just might not know yet, but I'm curious what your take is. I haven't, I, I had the same reaction that I'm like, I'm very drawn to it stylistically, but I don't quite know yet what it's meant to convey other than maybe my theory has been that like what they're doing at work, they're not doing anything. It's really just more of a like, like an experiment to see whether or not essentially the, um, any per, or the, any personalities can become separate people almost Mm -hmm. um like are we trying to create a technology here where we could create possibly like auto like drone like people to help run the economy or is it like just to see whether these um you know almost automations of a human self can become fully fledged people i don't know i to me i like basically for those who haven't watched the show they spend all their time just looking at a screen at numbers that go around and then like dumping things into buckets. So it's very on, all on a computer screen. And so it seems like I've seen theories though, that like maybe they're like writing nuclear code or like doing like, maybe these are like drone attacks like over the middle East or something. So I I think there are, um, that to me is what makes it sort of to like a mystery box show. But to me, that isn't as important as the way the characters are having their innies are suddenly having this moment of like self-realization and self-actualization and being like, well, we don't, <laughs> you created us, but we had no say in that. And we want to have autonomy and like choose our own path going forward. Mm-hmm. That's what's most compelling to me. Yeah. I agree. The one thing I, I wanted to ask, and I kept thinking about this is the, the, you learn at the end that Christopher Walken is one of the few characters whose Audi seems to have a very positive external life as far as we know, because we get very little from any other character but Adam Scott's character about what's happening in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. Why would someone choose to sever if their personal life was good? That's what I couldn't, like to me, it only makes sense for an Adam Scott type person to do this when they're unhappy in their personal life. But I don't know, what did you think of that? Yeah, I thought that you know that that was kind of revealed to us, or at least our assumptions about or what we can assume about the Christopher Walken character's personal life was was revealed was revealed very late in the series. Very late, and I agree. Without more context, it it, it raises questions. I think we have we can we can understand at least for Adam Scott's character and and for uh, Helly. Yeah, Helly. for Helly's character and for John Turturro's character, I think we can understand what, why they got to this point. Yep. Um, a little bit, we have a little bit less information about Dylan. Yeah. Um, 
But Christopher Walken is the one character who the glimpse of his life we see seems like uh, seems like it could be positive. But I think it also raises that interesting question about who would want such separation. And, you know, for me personally, it, it's interesting because my part, a lot of my identity as a person is, is wrapped up with my job. Completely. But I also am not in a, um, you know, I work at a nonprofit. Right. So I've chosen to do that because I believe in the mission of the nonprofit and, and therefore like, because its values align with who I am, I, uh, therefore, I think there's that linkage. But if you are, if you don't have that, you know, kind of to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier, like Google, which I've never worked for, <laughs> um, I assume makes you want to believe in its mission. Right. But ultimately its mission is to make money. Yes. Even though it, you know, it claims its mission is to do no evil. Um, and so they they provide all these perks to try to create this sense of camaraderie, but ultimately, and ultimately I imagine they succeed to some extent, but in the end, any corporation is is only, its only purpose is to you know increase value for the shareholders. Absolutely. So if you are a person who doesn't have a sense of um, kind of value alignment with your workplace and therefore does not take any of your identity from your work yeah I mean, then I think there's a question for me like do would you rather not think about what you're doing at work during your non-work hours um, it, does, it seems like the what happens in severance is an extreme version of that yeah. but maybe there's I guess maybe I could imagine a world in which even a happy person would want to just be totally um in their non-work selves outside of work hours if if they if you know that your work is essentially rote or my my one other thought was like for very liberal people who end up being like corporate attorneys for shell Mm -hmm. right maybe it's like i can't i need to sever because i inherent this is inherently against my morals but at the end of the day, I really want money yeah. and I'm going to do this job. And so this way, at least like sure. I don't feel that omnipresent liberal guilt every single time I'm outside of work, too. Yeah. Although I imagine in that scenario, that, that scenario only works if you don't know what to where your any is reporting to work. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you could do it like the, at the threshold of your door when you're leaving for work. Right. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's funny. But yeah. So I. I don't know. To me, I also wanted to ask you, like, this seems there's so many good pieces of content about office culture where you have the office, you have office space, parks and rec. And, you know, that's a very direct connection with Adam Scott being the lead, which I thought was a really smart casting choice here. Like, how do you feel this sort of like is in conversations with those things, but also just in conversation with the larger idea that, like, when we go to work, we have to be this like happy, good self where we're putting, you know, we're putting on a presentation and that we can't be our truly authentic out of work self. Um, 
but at the same time, do we really want to be our out of work self at work? Because like, I don't know, I, I don't, I've worked with people who have come to work and talked about all their personal problems all the time. And I don't, I don't think that's necessarily a mm-hmm. positive thing either. So I don't know, I, I guess there's two questions in there, the connections to other content, but also just how would you like, how do you feel about the idea of like separate and uh, separate selves in, in, in this space and just like capitalism force us to do, to have those dual mm-hmm. identities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, well, I guess to start with the content one, you know, I, I think, um, most of the other ones like the office and, you know, uh, parks and rec, uh, have been send ups of kind of rote workplace culture, mm-hmm. but haven't gone, and, and I admit to not being as familiar with the full arc of The Office, um, but I think it, it's less so about, you know, the more existential questions yeah. about work, and this really, Severance really gets both. It sends up both office culture with, with the, as we discussed, the, like, um, finger trap gimmicks and other things like that, um, but also, you know, the just in general, you know, what is it, what does work mean? Which I, I think was on the margins, but those other ones were comedies. Yeah. And, and we're, we were supposed to be laughing at ourselves. And this one has certainly lots of hilarious moments, but it's not, but in, in the end is not a comedy. Well, and I think all those shows, and Office Space does it in a different way, but they promote, there's this idea of that, like, your office life, your work life, they're your family. And it's like, no, they're not your fucking family. Like, and I think to this, it's interesting where you have something where you have, the Lumen Corporation is deliberately trying to keep people from being a family. They keep everyone isolated and they do not want like strong relationships to form. And then the, somehow they actually then become a family and become closer. So it's like the very thing most corporations actively try to promote sometimes is only can occur when you're in a situation like this. So I, I don't know. There's there's something almost paradoxical about it that I really like. I mean, it all leads to the question, Colin. Is there ever a situation um, where you would sever? I mean, the show sure sure seems to be taking you towards the answer being no. Yeah. Um, but I think that is in part predicated on the kind of dark nature of the Lumen Corporation in this in this particular instance. Yep. You know, I think the overall concept of severance, though, is you you. I think you are meant to be sympathetic to Adam Scott's motives, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and and you can relate to that. You know, a person who has a, a deep personal tragedy and wants to be able to spend, kind of give the gift to part of it yourself of not having to dwell in that is understandable. Absolutely. But on the other hand, it does seem... I was going to say like the easy route or it seems like is escapist in a way like you, you th- there are I think healthier ways <laughs> to sure. address that kind of tragedy but but on the other hand you know who am I to judge people who have 
unspeakable tragedy. I haven't had an unspeakable tragedy in my life, so it's hard for me to say never. But there's also that eternal sunshine of the spotless mind type connection where it's like, there's this grief that I need to process, but you know it would just be easier if I just forgot it altogether. Right. Right? Like, just wipe my mind clean, and then I don't have to constantly feel like shit for years, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Or never feel whole. And uh, I... This was mentioned on the Watch podcast, which I love. Um, but they were saying there was an Adam Scott article where he said very explicitly about his character, it's not that he wants to forget about this, it's that he actively doesn't want to move on in his in his personal life. That moving on would be somehow sacrificing her memory and her legacy. Mm-hmm. And so this is the only way he cannot move on by mm-hmm. having half his time spent where he's not thinking about it. Because if he thinks about it all his time, then he will just destroy himself. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I wanted to just end on one thing, which is, I think this is one of the best finales finales for a first season of TV I've ever seen. Um, it leaves so many things unanswered, so many cliffhangers, but it doesn't feel like they're toying with the audience. And like, I felt completely satisfied. Like if mm-hmm. the show ended now and there was never another season, I would have been completely content because it doesn't feel like we're giving cliffhangers just so that you'll like tune in later. Mm-hmm. It felt like we got a lot of answers, but there's still more to be learned. And like, I don't know, I just was immensely impressed with how well it was done, especially because I think people just fuck up finales all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, sign off, sign on to everything you just said that, the what they did reveal was so substantial that it felt satisfying and yet each of those reveals raised very significant questions yes um that make me want to keep watching yep but they weren't so i mean i, I think ultimately the there's questions about the show which certainly aren't answered that i think if It'll be, well, how should I say this? I, I hope they can continue this in a way that when those questions are answered, I feel as satisfied as I am now. Absolutely. And that they don't somehow end up screwing it up by answering these questions in an unsatisfactory way. Agree. Now, everything I've heard is that the show knows where it's going and like, it would just be great if this is like a tight two, three season show yeah. and it wraps up beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I feel like we're in good hands and I don't always feel that way. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you want to say about the show? Um, strong recommend. I agree with you at the outset. I loved Station Eleven and I loved Severance. And I don't think... I've seen other high quality shows, but nothing that had kind of the full um, range of... Uh, this is a, re- a real total package show. Agreed. Agreed. It has everything. And it's it's interesting, too, to compare with everything else that I feel like is coming out on TV right now, which is the um, sort of reenactment of real-life events, like from Tommy Lee to all the startup shows. Like, I just watched The Dropout, which was awesome, and I have a weird obsession with Elizabeth Holmes and people who just can believe their lies, their own self-delusions to the point where, like, they, they truly believe their lies are reality. But... To me, this is more, I'm always more satisfied with like original creative IP rather than something where someone is, no matter how well, how sophisticatedly done it is, you know, recreating real life events. Yeah. So I I think that's my other recommendation from this is it's a break from everything else that's on TV right now. Um, Other than Pachinko, I guess, which is another Apple TV show, which I read the book, like the book, 
and am very interested to see the TV show, but haven't had time to start it yet. So, um, yeah, any any other recommendations of stuff you've watched or read lately? Well, I will say I've seen the first couple episodes of Pachinko, and I also read the book, and I like it. Um, but it's another one where, well, I guess I haven't read I read Pachinko a few years ago, and it seems faithful to the story and well done. Um, in an enjoyable way such that I recommend it but it, but you know I think with Station Eleven for example the show kind of exactly augmented yep. the experience and this is a just a different medium for yep. essentially the same experience yeah I think that's such a great way to put it like to me the totem for like augmenting the book experience is and making it a true work of art is something like Station Eleven or Underground Railroad where like you you take this but like and the things are in conversation, but they're not the same, mm-hmm. right? And they add to each other where you, like your enjoyment is enriched by experiencing both. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Colin, this was great. Thank you so much for joining the uh, Favorites or Trash podcast. So, um, we're, we're still workshopping it, but we'll see. Um, doesn't quite roll off my tongue yet. Um, but this was great. I really appreciate you uh, joining me. And uh, are you like trusting the process for the Sixers for the playoffs this year? How are we feeling? I mean, I'm. Yeah. Although I'm from Pennsylvania, I didn't grow up a Sixers fan. Um, and I, I never really felt one way or the other about them. I don't know who where, who my money's on. I mean, it seems hard to be the Suns. I agree. I just figure you have such similarities with James Harden off the court mm-hmm. and your yeah. personality, lifestyle, and choices that I just yeah. figured you might root for them. But, you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And on that note, this has been uh, another episode of the Insatiable Content Podcast. And uh, looking forward to having you join us the next time. Perfect. Great. Thank you.